Martini Theatre on the Air is proud to present the man who would be Sherlock Holmes. Out of smoke enshrouds the boisterous den of iniquity as dealer flew elbow to elbow with ruffians, cutthroats, thieves, and ladies of reputations in a most doubtful manner. Carefully mikes his way through the hostile crowd. Fanny, playing her part at the bar, spots her prey and advances to take dealer flew by the arm. You'll be coming with me, love. She drags him toward the back of the pub as the ever watchful barkeep eyes it all with more than just a passing fancy. While outside, the gloved hand of Sherlock Holmes elevates the last wig and find her from the footrest at a defiant Rose's entryway. He places it firm into his vest pocket with a much-obliged fascia and then climbs back into the cab as Dr. Watson heads toward the pub. Vigilance and foresight are your most solid allies. Use them well, for I cannot afford to lose you. A back-slapping grin embraces the circular featurettes of a good doctor's face. Oh, and Watson, you will try and withstand the ever-present allure of the supple flesh tonight, won't you? Holmes eradicates himself into the cab as the once smug-written but now definitely beside himself Dr. Watson swiftly opens the entree at a defiant rose. And then makes his way in in a most comfortable manner, as if he's been there before. A pint of Guinness, please. As Watson awaits his pint of the black stuff, his head moves from side to side, perusing his most immediate surroundings. But he will not find the elusive fence de la fleur, for he sits upstairs, trembling like a leaf across from the cocksure bungee, who, with a simpering grin, lifts a small coin purse upside down, dust spilling the red star of the Bacara under the coarse tabletop that separates them. De La Fleur then carefully slides his brown bag towards Bungie. There you go, go. Tell me, you wouldn't happen to have noticed a Frenchman in here tonight by any chance, would you? If there were, he would have been thrown out on his ear a long time ago. We don't take kind of the riffraff round here. Yes, of course. A wise policy. A wise policy indeed. Watson raises his pint in commemoration, then right to his parched lips. Just as De La Fleur scurries past him, bumping his shoulder and spilling his ale on his couch. Now see here. Before carrying on towards the door. Why, for two dull farthings, I would thrash that insolent dollar. Within one inch of his wretched life. <laughs> so, it has been confirmed that the icy cold winters of London town can ne'er wilt 
the English rose. And I can confirm that your tongue, Dr. Watson, has not lost its edge. Well, a gentleman's blade should always be at the ready. Delafleur makes his way out of the house of ruffian refuse and manoeuvres his way through the fog and up to his cab. And into it. Only to find a steely-eyed Sherlock Holmes sitting directly across from him with a young Wiggins fast asleep upon the cape of his Inverness. So, what brings you out this way? Why, that would have to be the ever-present allure of your supple flesh. <laughs> oh, Dr. Watson. <laughs> hmm. A man of your dress should know better than to try and make off with a dog's bone when he ain't tethered to no chain. You likening yourself to that of a dog is a great insult to any and all noble canines within the confines of this fair city. <laughs> and, as for the latter part of your most eloquent statement, I know nothing of this so-called bone you speak of. This... Ah! Is me bone. So I suggest you go and dig another one up elsewhere. And I suggest that you brand your cattle before allowing them to graze. <laughs> All right then. I'll be glad to leave me, Mark. Starting with the likes of you. The now very much supine Dr. Watson staggers himself upright, taking a deep breath and shaking his head in an effort to regain his deportment as an all-too-ugly whelp begins to balloon under his left arm. He clears his throat, <coughs> stares Bungie down with a dagger of displeasure and then, with the strictest amount of confidence, begins to unbutton his coat. Be stupid, Bungie. Let's take... Shut your hole. And keep to this bag. I won't be long. Watson raises his arms toward Bungie. Elbows bent. Fists curled in towards his face and his legs spread as wide as Piccadilly Circus. Which begs the question... Marquis of Queensbury? Still bent on calling me names, eh? Bungie curls his fat fingers into two clubbing balls as the two men begin to circle each other like a pair of Chelsea Tomcats. Bungie launches first, a barrel in right. Watson ducks and pounds a triple combination into Bungie's ribcage. Bungie backs up, his eyes ablaze. He charges forward only to be met with a lightning jab square into his bulbous nose, stopping him dead in his tracks. Watson then delivers another jab, and then another, and then another, all making rapid-fire contact, forcing Bungie to stagger about like a drunken circus clown. Watson seizes the opportunity and steps in for the kill, and rocks the chops of his enormous rival with a roasting right-left cross-coalition. Bungie reels back and the crowd parts from his wake like an he was carrying the plague. Watson, wasting no time, bolts in after him. 
but Bungie is not so unawares and hooks Watson by the midriff, heaves him into the air, and hurls him against a pub wall. Fanny, now garbed in a shawl, dashes from the scrap towards the exit. Behind her, Watson is being lifted high above the crowd, and it's Bungie's massive arms that are doing all the lifting, slamming Watson into a hardwood table. Bungie lurches up to the bleary-eyed and very much horizontal Watson and raises his size 14 boot just above the fallen physician's face. Bungie then propels that boot forward, but Watson catches it with both hands, halting its progress just an inch away from his boyish good looks. Watson then thrusts his own right leg upward, stiff and hard, catching Bungie firm upon the private likes, just between the legs. Dr. Watson feels compelled to repeat the blow. And one good turn deserves another. And how about one for the ladies? The massive ruffian's eyes roll on back, zombie white. So I ask you, when a tree falls in the forest and there ain't nobody around to see it fall, does it make a noise? Well, there you go. Watson hobbles himself up perpendicular-like as the flabbergasted patrons stand with their collective mouths agap. Dr. Watson then thrusts his arms into the air to solidify his drunken victory. Outside and just around the corner the defiant rose, Fanny on a dead run, turns into an alleyway and leans vigilant against the wall. She then opens the brown bag with an eye-popping smile, closes it, and runs off into the murky London fog at the east end. Two men exit the pub dragging Bungie into that gutter from which he came. And then they happily rejoin Dr. Watson's triumphant swore right as Bungie begins to slowly regain consciousness. And as he does so, an enormous shadow eclipses the moon above while his eyes are blinking open. They then squint upward and then swell with aura. They were all lovey-dovey like. Before you showed up, that is. Oh, really? She? With that brute? Yeah, but she was just playing them. They was up to something. What do you mean by that? Don't know, really. Just met up with some bloke, that's all. What sort of bloke was this? Well, sort of like one of them hairdressers you see hanging about the West End all the time. Looking desperately up and down the barren street, 
Dr. Watson, who just moments before was basking in the glow of a sporting man's conquest, has no other choice but to resign himself to defeat. Very much disconcerted so dealer floor makes like the wind out the front door of 221 and on down the crowded walkway of Baker Street. Just above, the morning sun seeps through the veiled curtain window of Flat B to find a very much untidy so Dr. Watson, who sits glumly upon the sofa, rubbing his aching brow. My God, man. You never cease to amaze me. Why on earth did you let him go? Why on earth not? He was very cooperative although the information was scant at best. The important thing is that I now have the star in my possession, and with that I can keep the yard at bay. Surely you'll deliver the star? I'll do no such thing. That was the yard's bounty, not mine. We're after far bigger fish, and this barmaid friend of yours has just inadvertently placed herself upon our hook. Pray, do tell, if it's no secret, as to what sort of information De La Fleur provided. Lord and Tober? Is that a name? Well, of sorts. It's an anagram, and a very poor one at that. To be deciphered at a later hour. Now, let's start with her name, shall we? Fanny. Fanny what? Monroe! Fanny Monroe! Bungie hangs upon a hook, impaling the back of his thick coat, dangling him four feet above the ground within a rat-infested storehouse. Bremen would mirror like pools of muck upon its uneven floor. Amberton House, in Whitechapel. Oh, God, please have mercy. Please. Standing opposed to him, twisting his arm up like it was a Bavarian pretzel fresh out of the oven, is the monster. And in a monster-like way, he seems to be really, really enjoying himself. Yeah! Amberton House, a set of East End flats that reek with destitution. What would seem to be a bed, a side table, and a crooked entryway crammed a tiny space directly in front of a double door window. Now these not so accommodating accommodations belong to the very accommodating Fanny Lynn Monroe, who is rapidly packing what little she has into a shabby suitcase. Her attention is then drawn to a light tapping sound upon those two aforesaid double doors. She moves carefully toward the window and opens them wide to overlook the angular smoky rooftops of Whitechapel. Finding nothing unusual, she returns to her digs. Now with that sound popping up directly behind her, she knows that at this particular moment in time, nothing is usual.
Martini Theatre on the Air would like to extend our warmest regards to you, our most sincere listener, for tuning in this evening. We would also like to take this moment to thank the Martini Theatre players whose tireless effort and patience made tonight's broadcast possible. They are as follows. Linda Slade, Victoria Turner, Kerry Lynn Weber, Toby Williams, Michael Northergut, Jim Dana Tall, Timothy James Walsh, Stephen West, D.C. McCauley, Elmer V. Jackson, Robert Romeo Coates, Charles Waterman, and J.D. Booth. Martini Theatre would also like to thank Brian Conwell for his melodious introduction. The Man Who Would Be Sherlock Holmes was written and dramatized by Walter Barclay Campbell based upon the award-winning screenplay of the same name. Until next week, this is M-T-O-T-A, signing off. <laughs>